Smith and Jones back again for another week. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. And we've got a jammed one for you for the next hour as we are kind of like the pre-pregame show to the NBA Finals. Game six coming up, uh, well, in what, two hours' time between the Golden State Warriors and the Boston Celtics. A chance for the season potentially to end this evening if Golden State can take care of business on the road and end it in six, much like the Toronto Raptors did three years ago. We are three days past the three-year anniversary, as crazy as it sounds, and maybe that's something we can address a little bit later on when Dan Tolzman joins us, assistant general manager and vice president of player personnel for the Raptors. He will be on the program, and in a couple of minutes' time, we will hook up with Alvin Williams from Sportsnet, of course, longtime Toronto Raptor, and uh, we will break down game six. And Jonesy, right now, right now, it is Steph Curry's award to lose in terms of the finals MVP. However, in the last two games, if not the entire series, but certainly the last two games, one could easily argue that another player has put himself right in the mix from Golden State. And that, of course, is Canadian Andrew Wiggins, who was a key cog, an integral piece, and maybe, arguably, as important as Steph in Game 4 and the most important warrior on the floor in Game 5. Yeah, you know, I, I still think it's Steph's, um, Yep, Eric. And, and Andrew, Andrew has done a terrific job. He's been their second best player. But I, I think that in, in all this MVP chatter, um, people forget that sometimes Andrew can do what he does because Steph's on the floor. <laughs> He's not... Yeah, he's not point. quite the top of the scouting report as yet, uh, but give Andrew credit. He uh, he's certainly been their best defender. Um, you know, he's given them he's given them terrific play on the offensive end, uh, aggressive. Uh, he, he's fitting into Golden State style in terms of uh, you know the offensive structure and the way he's handling himself. So I would say this: while in my eyes. Steph is clearly the MVP, and people are saying, well, you know, if Steph has a poor game and Andrew has another great game, I, I, I just think um, Steph's impact is, is, is bigger, and Steph's impact allowed is allowing Andrew to do what he does. That being said, um, man, Andrew Wiggins having a great series. I'm really happy for him. He took a lot of slack in Minnesota, and... You know, we kind of said this coming to Golden State with Steph and Clay and Draymond and not having to be the face of the franchise and carry all that weight, he will be great. And I think Mike Brown's also done a terrific job of turning him into, you know, their, well, arguably their best perimeter defender. Josie, I don't think, I don't think I have. Tell me if I'm wrong. And you know what? Hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, I, I, I know I should have thought this out before being live and saying this, but I'm wondering if I actually hold on to this, if I call this a little tease and bring it up with Alvin Williams. You know what? That's what I'm going to do. Because I was about to mention somebody that he knows quite well, a former teammate of his in relation to Andrew Wiggins. So I'm going to save it. We call that a tease, folks, and I didn't even intend to do it. I'm going to bring it up with Alvin when we talk about the finals. He's going to join us in a couple of minutes' time. So let me shift in a bit of a different direction, but staying on the Andrew Wiggins theme. The one thing that I, I, I find with Wiggins as well, Jones, you talk about his defense, but the rebounding as well, because he has stepped it up to a point where, like, Draymond Green has been up and down, and I would argue maybe more down than up in this postseason, let alone in this finals. I still think he's an important piece. 
He's still a guy I wouldn't bet against. But when they need somebody to get on the glass, I'm not sure that I would have been eyeballing Andrew Wiggins as the guy. And he has been an absolute beast for them in so many different facets. And again, it's Steph's you know, award to lose. But he has been outstanding as a scorer, as a defender, as a rebounder. He's kind of doing it all right now. He has. He has been. And, I mean, you look at the rebounding, Eric, that's been a real key uh, in the series. When Golden State rebounds well, um, they, they, you know, they, they play well, and they win games. And it's the old adage, no rebounds, no rings. And I, 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 just, I just think Andrew has done a terrific job on the glass. And his defense, that whole side of the floor, um, his athleticism is something that I wouldn't say is underplayed, but there is no real consistent match for it on Boston. There is in, in terms of Tatum and Brown, but they're not playing at that athletic level all the time the way Andrew Wiggins is. Again, it's game six between the Celtics and Warriors. It's coming up at 9 o'clock Eastern, and the season could be done tonight one week from tonight. We will have the NBA draft, and we will have a special edition of Smith & Jones next week as we get a chance to chat before the draft goes down. So we will preview things uh, from a Raptors and a league perspective on the next edition of our show, but coming up later on in this program, again, the assistant general manager of the Toronto Raptors, vice president of player personnel as well, Dan Tolzman, and on the line right now for his uh, weekly chat. This is when we flip the show and make it Smith, Jones, and Williams as we bring into the conversation longtime Toronto Raptor and Raptors television analyst on Sportsnet, Alvin Williams. Al, good to chat with you. Same here, same here. Miss you guys. Yeah, I miss you as well, Al. Hopefully, yeah, uh, you too, Al. Well for you on a on a on a personal and and professional level. So, miss seeing you, miss talking to you, and hopefully, at some point over the course of the summer, we get a chance to uh, see each other in person. Al, I teased this a couple of minutes ago. I started asking Jonesy a question, and then I stopped mid sentence and said, "No, hold on, I'm going to save this for when Al is on the line." So, you and Jonesy can neither tell me I'm right or wrong, or tell me if you at least see a little bit of a glimmer of what I'm talking about, or if I'm completely out to lunch. Andrew Wiggins, can I make the comparison? And, and you know, stay with me for a second here because I want to make sure I paint the picture properly. Andrew Wiggins, a guy that comes into the league with a, a ton of hype and a ton of expectations, if for no other reason than number one pick. Traded from Cleveland to Minnesota. Goes to Minnesota, struggles to find consistency or wins more than anything. Much like KG did forever, that organization has been a struggle for a hell of a long time then gets himself in a situation, in, in an opportunity with a winning organization surrounded by more talent. And Al, what I'm looking at, it might not be like absolutely identical, but I'm thinking of a guy like Vince Carter, who came in with the hype, who burst onto the scene as a rookie of the year, no doubt, but then once surrounded by better players, by a better situation, and kind of found himself as a player, because so many people wanted him to be this leader and this, this changer from the beginning. And sometimes people aren't vocal leaders. They, they lead with their player. They lead in different ways. Or they have to find that right situation. And then I look at the way that Vince morphed over the years to become not just a highlight reel guy, not just an athletic guy, but a decent defender, a three-point shooter, and a guy that became the ultimate vet in the late stages of his career. Am I off for making that kind of comparison? <laughs> Hell yeah, you all. Okay. Tell me <laughs> you're why. You're rocker. Tell you're me why. Rocker. No, it's not. It's not. It's not to argue. I, I just think 
Wiggins came in. First of all, I think I think Vince is a better player. I think Vince was more polished. Vince was, you know, Vince was. Wiggins did one year in college, and Wiggins came in after one year out of college, being the number one pick, and he wasn't allowed to grow into a great player. Vince, he surprised us all right from the beginning. So I believe, you know, Vince, his career transitioned into another direction when it came to Vince, you know, leaving the superstardom role. Like Vince carried a team. Vince really, I don't think he let anyone down. I think he he exceeded expectations from the outset. Um, and then Vince, he he redesigned his career, he redesigned his game, and allowed him to play for 22 years. You know, he, he did like a Tim Duncan move. Not saying Tim Duncan, you know, the championships, but, you know, Tim Duncan re-identified himself. He recreated himself to play longer in a different role. Vince did the same. I think what you see with Wiggins is, you know, people wanted him to be someone faster than he was ready to be. And they put a lot of pressure on this guy to be something that everybody thought. You know, he was compared to LeBron James coming out. So I just think now where he is part of a team and part of a, you know, an organization that's allowing him to be him and allowing him to be that person. Everyone's not built to be that number one guy. Vince was that number one guy. Like, he was that number one guy, hands down. And, you know, although the Raptors didn't go as far as, you know, people want him to go, but, you know, Vince carried a, he carried a franchise, and I don't think he disappointed at all, where Wiggins had to grow into another franchise and be another, a, be a, a, he's still an excellent player. But I just think it's two different career paths and two different people and two different games. And, and Jonesy, before you jump in here, I just got to say as well, so we're clear. No doubt do I think Vince Carter is an absolutely better player with no disrespect to Andrew Wiggins and an absolute surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. So just so we're clear on that point, Al, before Jonesy jumps in here. Well, yeah, and, and um, I, I think, you know, to, your, to Al's point about carrying or being the main guy on the team, uh, I, I just remember the Charles Oakley line when Oak talked about, uh, like a band, Vince and sometimes Tracy were like the lead singers and all of the rest of them, D. Brown, Charles Oakley, Antonio Davis. They, he said, we were all the backup singers. We were all the band. And, and Vince was the leader. And, you know, Al, Eric and I were talking about the MVP. And, you know, people are mentioning Andrew's name. And he's had a terrific series. But, again, I, I, I think it's Steph's presence that allowed that to happen. And, and to your point where you started, they wanted Andrew to carry a team. He'd only been one year in college. Where does a college kid go to a weak team that is looking for somebody to put them on their back? And not, I would say most college kids can't do it. They can't do it. Or it takes them two or three years to get their head around doing it, and they might do it for a while. But it's hard to do. I mean, think about it. Even yeah. when, when Blake, Blake Griffin came in, he sat out a year and then... You know, he kind of got it going. There was a Blake show, and then that was it. And more recently, Ben Simmons, you know, and, and, and now that's done. Like, it's hard to get your head around it, and it's hard to do it. And I'm not sliding, yeah. Andrew. I'm just saying it's, it's tough to do. So I'm not, I'm not surprised that, you know, that he couldn't do it or meet people's expectations. I just think he's in a great situation now for him 
to grow and be part of uh, a team of people that can do it with a defined leader in Steph Curry. No, and, and you're right. And, and you talk about Vince, right? Vince, once again, he had the Charles Oakleys. He had a lot of veteran guys behind him. He had, you know, once again, the expectation wasn't there for Vince. Vince grew into that, you know, through, through time. And Wiggins, once again, just to echo it all, Wiggins was thrown into, it was, it was a bad organization, no leadership there as far as, you know, veteran players there. And he had to grow into it. But it's a player that is reminding he's on the Warriors team now, Andre Iguodala. Being here in Philadelphia, when, when Allen Iverson got traded to the Nuggets and Andre Iguodala got a big contract, this city was expecting him to really be the next AI. And he fell short of that because of the expectations. Then he goes to the Denver Nuggets, and he, you know, he plays well. And he played well here in Philadelphia. Just, you know, overlooked because he didn't, he didn't meet the expectations of the crowd. And, you know, he got a big contract, and I, uh, uh, Iverson left. And then when he goes to Golden State, he becomes that glue guy. He becomes the guy that's defending. He becomes another ball handler. He becomes an athlete. And he's the guy when they made it to the finals and they won that championship, and he was inserted into that starting lineup, and they benched David Lee, and he played his butt off and became the MVP of that series. And you see Wiggins doing the same thing, not just as a defender like Andre Godala was, not just as an athlete as Andre Godala was. He's a guy that's a better shooter than Andre at that time, and he's getting 16 boards, 10 boards. He's doing everything that Golden State Warriors need for these guys to win. Steph is Steph, no doubt about it. But without a, a without a Wiggins in the Luka Doncic series and in the, the, the Memphis series, all he's he's been that place, been that person that I feel like a comparison to Andre Iguodala is very close. And you see, Andre is always in his ear. He's all because I think Andre sees the same thing. You know, someone who didn't match the expectations or meet the expectations of a other franchise and went into a Golden State Warrior and going to chance you have a chance to not just be a champion, but a pivotal piece in that in that uh in that in that in that puzzle. Hey Al, obviously having been there as a player yourself, um how difficult is it? I'm talking about all athletes in all sports, but I mean we could come up with a million examples. How difficult is it to have that moment where you look in the mirror and say, either A, I gotta change I got to take a step back. I got to morph, or potentially B, I'm done. I don't have my fastball anymore. I got to. It's time to hang it up. Whether it's because of injury or age or both, how difficult is it to have that that sort of, you know, honest come to Jesus moment? I mean, it, yeah, it's very difficult. You know, luckily for an individual with team sports, sometimes the team I tell you is done. Like in my case. The teams were telling me I was done. No, no matter how much I wanted to play, right? It was one of those things where teams weren't interested. Whether it's the contract, whether it's playing time, whether it's roster, whatever, the teams will let you know. And sometimes you just get frustrated, and and you just you, it's time. And then you have a, a sport like boxing, where no one can really tell you that you're done until you get your head knocked off and you, your speech is slurred. So it's very it's very difficult for an individual. To, to call it quits, to come into that realization that, you know, 
I'm not that same athlete. And the sport that I love, the sport that has given me so much, that the thing, the sport that has identified me in some cases, you know, it, it's hard to give up. Now you have some athletes that I take my hat off to. When I mentioned a Tim Duncan and a Vince Carter that can recreate. You know, they can, they can make they can say, you know what, I'm not the guy that's going to get 25 shots. I'm not going to average 25 points, but I can still be a part of something and be a part of something, growing a youth, growing a younger people, be it a vet and still win and be productive. You have some athletes like that. So it's different stages. It depends on the individual, but it's very difficult overall to, to call it quits or have to come to grips where you're not the same athlete that you used to be. Al, what do you think happens in game six? Um, what, what uh, I mean, Boston's only been closed out in the finals once in history on their home floor, and that took the Showtime Lakers to do it. Is is Golden State up to the challenge tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think I think they are, man. They they have first of all, you have Steph Curry, you have a Clay Thompson, you have a Draymond Green, you have people that have won, and they know what it takes to win. They know how tough it is to win on the road, and they're not going to get rattled. They're not going to get They're not going to. They're not going to. They're not going to fold to anything. But you're going against a Boston team who who's a tough team, you know, and I think we forget about it. We've been talking a lot about Boston and their, and their offense and turnovers and stuff like that. You hear that a lot, but their defense, this has been a team that's been one of the best, if not the best defensive team in the second half of the season, their defense is going to, going to keep them in these games. So I think at the end of the day, Golden State is going, they're up for the challenge, but it's going to be very tough to beat this Boston team. Cause I still, I still like Boston. I still think they're a solid team. And I still believe that if their others can start making these shots, White, Horford, Williams, uh, Smart, if these other guys can start really hitting these timely shots at the right time, especially near the close of the game, and they end up taking what Golden State's given them. A lot of these turnovers are coming from beating the defense, getting into the paint, trying to kick out for a three-point shot or something like that instead of taking what the defense is giving them. So I think they have to be more – they have to be more – selective with their offense and that'll limit their turnovers but the Warriors are to answer your question Jonesy the Warriors are up for the challenge but I think Boston can pull this one out you know Al I mentioned it towards the top of the show the fact that the Raptors three years ago did it in Golden State uh, winning in Oakland and you know on that sixth game that's what Golden State needs to do tonight in Boston Uh, you've closed out a series you've played a key role in closing out a series on the road how difficult is it not as difficult I mean, it's difficult because when, when you have a team and they're back against the wall, they're playing. They're playing their butts off. And it's, it's difficult to win any series, especially at this time of the season, because everyone knows everything. You know every play. You know every. You know all the, 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 the tendencies. You just know. And then you have players that's going to have breakout games, like you see game four and the Steph Curry. He has that type of game. There's not much you can do. But when you have a team that have those type of players, that can take over a game, you know, at any moment, that that's a luxury. But it's very difficult. It's very difficult to close out a team, and it's very difficult to win a series. I've never been in a championship series, so I can only imagine. But it's difficult. But but those why you have this, that's why you have the superstars, and that's why you have the role players that make sure they're they're up for the challenge as well. Al, um, there's been a lot of chatter around Draymond Green in this series, who who I think is is doing himself and the team a disservice by by not looking at the basket. I mean, here's a guy that 
here's a guy that is so important and at times he's not even looking at the basket he's not he's 15 feet out and he's not making himself a threat I know he's facilitating and he's he's helping the offense to flow but don't you think he's got to be more offensive minded and that would really help them close it out yeah I, I think it, when you, you are you're right I think when you talk about offensive minded take advantage of those opportunities um not telling him to go out and get isolations and you know, shoot the three ball, which he's not comfortable shooting. But it's times where I've seen the ball dropped up, dropped off to him, and he's making an extra pass after an extra pass. And it just it hurts the team, as you mentioned. So I think, you know, Draymond, I love Draymond. loves what he brings on the court. I love what he brings off the court. Sometimes as an athlete, you get in your own head, and he may, he may have lost a little bit of confidence. You know, uh, he may have lost a little bit, but – he has to be aggressive because he is that guy that has that ability to take the ball to the basket, to finish off the dribble, to make passes outside. So he has a he has a high skill set, but he he has to like you like you said, Jonesy. He has to have that mindset coming into the game. I thought last game he started out with that mindset. I've seen him go to the basket, finish at the basket, push it down the floor. But we also got to remember with Draymond Green, his best years when he was playing and being very valuable to to that Warriors team, he was that point forward guy. He was that guy that could push the ball down the floor that would allow Clay and Steph to run the wings and, and, and finish in transition. And he was the guy that would swing up top. He also was a threat making or at least shooting the three ball from up top where he doesn't look at that now. So I think he's taken his game and changed it a bit due to the Warriors personnel. But I do believe he has to get back to your point, Jonesy, being more offensive-minded or at least looking to finish plays when he gets the opportunity. Alvin, we appreciate the time as always, man. Time flies. Uh, we'll, we'll hook up again next week and uh, make sure you got your draft hat on. Get ready for uh, next week's draft, a week tonight. All the best, Al. Thanks for having me, guys. See you soon. All right, Al. Take care, man. All right. Bye-bye. There is Alvin Williams, Raptors analyst for Sportsnet, longtime Toronto Raptor, of course, former coach as well. He's done it all for this organization and uh, always love having him on. All right, Jonesy, what do you think? Uh, I mean, it's not the end of the show, but I'm, I'm looking for prediction time right now. Is it, is it done tonight or are we going to a game seven? As, as, as much as peace people are giving Boston, you know, the home court and their, uh, you know, Again, the worldwide leader still says Boston has a 75 or 76% chance winning the series. I don't know what I'm missing. I don't know where these numbers and algorithms are coming from. But Golden State's winning this series, in my eyes. If it's not tonight, then it's at home in Game 7. Um, I, I, I just think Boston's not been in a position like this for you know the young players and Sometimes you squeeze the ball. If, you're, if they're down in the fourth quarter and can't hold it together, this thing's going to fall apart on them. That, that's my prediction. I think Golden State wins tonight. Uh, we're in lockstep, man. We've either been working together too long or we're just too damn smart for our own good. Either way, yep. I think it's over tonight as well. See, both of the above. <laughs> yes, probably, yeah. Yes, that's, that probably is the best option. See, both, yes. I think we said... It, well, no, I checked the tapes. I believe I said Golden State in six, and you said Golden State in six or seven, because then I started busting yes. your chops for not yes. giving me a straight answer. So either way, we both think it's over tonight, and uh, we'll see if uh, Golden State can do the unthinkable. Nah, maybe not unthinkable, but certainly the tough thing, winning on the road in Boston and uh, another another uh, 
um, I don't know, trophy on the mantle that certainly goes towards the dynasty that already is, I believe, the Golden State Warriors. When we continue on Smith & Jones, we're going to chat with the assistant GM and vice president of player personnel for the Raptors, Dan Tolzman, but wanted to mention as well, before we go to the break here, folks, make sure you subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Please download, rate, review, share it as well, Apple, Spotify, Google, wherever it may be. Uh, make sure you're uh, dialed up and tuned in to Smith & Jones. Dan Tolzman and a lot on the Raptors and next week's draft when we continue here on Smith & Jones. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. We're about 90 minutes away now from the tip-off of Game 6 between the Celtics and Warriors. And, of course, we're a couple of days removed from the Toronto Raptors three-year. I can't believe, Jonesy, it's been three years uh, the anniversary since the Raptors yeah. won the title back in 2019. And uh, speaking of the Raptors, busy time for them as they are counting down to this time next week when the NBA draft goes down. And on the line right now, Assistant General Manager of the Raptors and Vice President of Player Personnel, Dan Tolzman. Dan, thanks for the time tonight. Guys, how are you? Thanks for having me. Uh, we're, we're doing All well, good, Dan. Dan. We're doing All good, Dan. All good. Thanks for carving out a little bit of time for us. We're not going to keep you a long time because who knows what could be going down on a on a Thursday night, a week before the draft. Uh, you know, as I said, just a, a couple hours shy of Game Six of the Finals. But what is this time like for you? And I man, imagine it can't just be in the last couple of days. This is a couple of months worth, if not a season's worth of work. But what's it like in these final? Uh, I don't know this final week, the final countdown to when it really, uh, you know, it gets real at this point next week. Yeah, I think I think you said it best. I mean, we've been we've been working and focusing on this draft for months to where, you know, it's not unlike uh, I don't know a semester in school where you kind of have been working towards the final exams and then the last week before, you you kind of do a lot of of just cramming and and you know refocusing on the same players and, and different you know different prospects you've been kind of staring at film on for the whole the whole season but now it's it's a a little bit of a a little more stressful um pressure-packed week of just you know making sure that that what you used to see or what you've been seeing lately that it all kind of still fits with with the path that we're hoping this team to go so dan this is thanks for fitting us in we're like the study break but i'm gonna yeah, exactly. i'm gonna ask about uh I'm going to ask about the review, you know, stuff at the beginning of the semester that uh, you might have forgotten about. And I'm going to go no further than last year's pick with Scotty Barnes. Everybody in the world thought that, you know, there was going to be somebody else picked in that spot. And, you know, people up in arms and people asking, even Eric and I, hey, what, 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 what's this pick? I thought we were going to take this other guy. And I said, hey. They know stuff that we don't. So in the, in the review portion of this, how often do you have a kid in your, on your radar, in your, in your crosshairs, and you're watching them and you're watching them, and you get to this point where it's, yeah, we like this kid. If he's there, we're going to take him, like a Scotty, who you are probably tracking forever, or somebody else comes out of the blue, or somebody else you've been tracking suddenly doesn't look so good. You know, it happens. It happens quite often, honestly. Like, there's a little bit of you can't let the pre-draft kind of overtake your bigger feelings on a player because there's definitely a sense of 
knowing guys from live games and, and competitive um, situations where you do get a feel for them. And if it's a guy that your gut feeling on a certain, you know, how they fit with us is a certain way, it, it tends to maybe get a little cloudy when you start looking at them through these different pre-draft processes of pro days or, or um, you know, a three-on-three workout, a one-on-oh workout, like things that aren't a true game situation. And it can kind of, I mean, mess with your evaluation a little bit. And that's why there's, there's you know, players that, that trick people through the pre-draft all the time. But then when you get back to the, the actual games and, and the – the competitive nature of, of NBA basketball. Sometimes your initial read on a player way back in December or November or whatever ends up being the correct one, but you went through months and months of kind of like rethinking it or, or, or looking at a certain way to where a pre-draft process can somewhat cloud it up sometimes when, when, you know, had it, had that not been a part of it, you would have been it would have been an easy selection for you but as soon as you start going through things you start to rethink or second guess yourself and and there's definitely a struggle with making sure that you you balance the two because some guys look great in pre-draft some guys don't look and you got to kind of know what's real what's not and and who the real player is because there is a there's a number of players that when they get to the pre-draft process for the first time in their life they're now being trained by high level NBA, you know, level trainers and they might drop a bunch of weight or they might add a little piece to the game that they never showed in college or, or wherever they were playing. And you have to kind of do your research and, and see like, is this the real guy that we're going to be getting if we do take him, or is this just for show as a part of this draft and we're actually going to get the old version of him? So there's, you know, I don't know if that's answering your question, but there's definitely a, yeah, yeah. a process to like trying to, to, know which which one is real here here's my my follow-up to you dan Be, and again i go no further than last year everybody thought they got their uh their draft credentials and, and gm credentials after watching the ncaa tournament for three or four weekends and and how much does how much does the tournament influence things Be, because it is a big stage and a guy can play well or play poorly and does it go back to what you said about not letting something short term override what you the body of work that you have put in in terms of evaluating someone? Yeah, I think that the tournament is is kind of a historically there's it's a time where you know there's guys that they get on a heater and they are just lights out and you know they'll get overdrafted for that you know that one month stretch and it's you know I think there's there's been a number of I wouldn't say mistakes made because of it, but there's there's definitely like maybe misevaluations or over overvaluations based on a, the tournament setting because it is it is somewhat un, I don't want to say unrealistic, but you know the, the 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 magnitude of the games and the the everything that is the the glory of the NCAA tournament, like guys that rise to that occasion, like it's there's something to that, but at the same time there's there's if they weren't showing that prior to the tournament, then there's a, there might be some false sense of uh, how good they are from that tournament. Most of the time, the guys that step up in that moment and they, they use it as a, as a launching pad, the really good ones, they had already been doing that. And we had already kind of, 
you know, followed them enough prior to that to really get a, a good sense for them. And that's just more of a, you know, the, the, like the final, like evaluation that really helps the, the argument for them um, as opposed to someone just coming out of the blue and having a big tournament and then, you know, becoming a draft prospect because of that, like that rarely does that usually end well. Speaking with Dan Tolzman, Assistant General Manager of the Raptors, Vice President of Player Personnel. Dan, um, I, I think we're all keeping our collective fingers crossed that you know things have been seeming to trend upwards in the right direction for the world, not just for our, our city and our province and our country here the last few weeks, the last couple of months. Uh, so again, fingers crossed that it stays that way. But that said, how has this process been for you this year, being able to not just get across the border and across the country, across the world, hopefully a little more easily than a year ago, let alone two years ago, but also bringing folks into Canada for pre-draft workouts and not having to do things remotely or in, in, in alternate locations and kind of getting back to, and I hate to use the term, normal again in terms of this whole process. Oh, it, it's night and day. I mean, compared to what we were going through the last two years, um, not only with the pre-draft, but just everything everything related to how our team operates. It was just kind of turned upside down. And to get back to, like you said, not, not quite what the new normal is, but definitely back to some usual um, methods to how we deal uh, with the, the course of the season. And especially from a pre-draft standpoint of, I mean, our scouting is, is close to normal in terms of our coverage and, and um, getting people up here for workouts and, and, Honestly, all all of the different things that we usually go through to prepare for the draft, it's you know we may do with with the the situation that we were given the last couple of years, but to be back in our own building and and going through the process that we always do, and honestly, like one of the biggest things is that we always love with with our pre-draft process is being able to show a lot of these prospects how great the city of Toronto is this time of year because so many people that are a part of basketball when they do travel here, it's in the winter and they, you know, their lasting memory of the city is as we all know what, what the winters are like and bringing these guys in here and, and seeing the city and, and getting out and seeing how great this, this part of the country is at this time of year. It, that's a help for us in terms of selling um, the market as well. So getting back to that is, it's a big, it's a big plus for us. And then, honestly, the other thing, too, that I think a lot of people take for granted is not only from our standpoint, but these players, especially these draft players that, that we're evaluating, like they've been going through two non-typical years of development that it has hurt, you know, kind of where they usually should be. And so we, had, we have to kind of tie that into our evaluation process and, and really take into account where these guys would be normally versus where they are now and, and how much has the pandemic actually like affected their, you know, their uh, development curves as well. Dan, like Eric and I say, the baseball players never complain because they get here in April and they don't leave till October. So they see, they see the good, the really good part of the, the, the city in, in terms of the weather. Dan, I, I know philosophically the Raptors seem to, always there are other teams look at uh, guys that they pick and go why didn't we see that or how come we couldn't find that guy and and I know in past some teams I I know in their height in their heyday uh, the Bulls never let their scouts kind of hang out with the other scouts they wanted them to form their own opinions of players 
philosophically, how do you go about that in terms of the evaluation? And, you know, you might see, you might see X side of a player that fits your profile while the, uh, another group of people see the Y side that doesn't fit your profile. How, how do you resolve that philosophically, Dan? You know, I think we've gotten to a point with our our roster building and our just the way that our group, I mean, so many of our front office has been together now for a really long time that we all have kind of melded a, I hate to call it like a profile or a type of player that we we like or we're drawn to, but there's definitely, there's been enough players that we've brought in here through the draft or for agency or whatever um, who fit a criteria that we've we've come to have a lot of success with and so i think there's now characteristics that we we look for and i don't know if it's so much that other teams don't look for them or maybe there's just there's a there's less of a of a um a value to them that we know you know we've had success with just the way that we the way that we approach development or or team building or whatever whatever it is these characteristics they they help towards that and so you know it's something that again we don't we don't draft um entirely based around it but it's definitely as we scout we kind of throw out the whatever the public opinion is or whatever other teams are thinking or 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 whatever and we know what we like we know the types of players who have success in our locker room and around other young players that we that we have in the system to where it's, it's a little bit easier to know who will and won't like be a fit. And so we definitely are drawn to those guys, um, you know, regardless of what other teams or, or, you know, online websites are saying. Speaking with Dan Tolzman, Dan, we focused obviously understandably a, a lot on, on next week. I wanted to ask you just from the standpoint of pro scouting, um, are you ever able to sit down and watch a game just as a as a as a fan or even as an executive but not necessarily always evaluating or is it just the wheels are always spinning like I, i'm thinking even right now we're getting set to watch game six could be over tonight the season could be done if the warriors win guys over the course of the season with no disrespect intended on, on, a, on a on a bit of a smaller scale maybe a guy like nick, nick stauskas who worked his way back into the league and onto the celtics roster or a guy like Somebody that you would know quite well in Gary Payton uh, the second, and 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 the season that he had, the time he had with nine oh five, the time he had with the Raptors, even last season or two seasons ago, I guess now. But then now in a in a in a primary role with Golden State, and are you always just watching, seeing, you know, from a pro standpoint, who might be potentially a fit for Toronto down the road if a situation presented itself? Yeah, you know, I think it's. It's unfortunate, but the the ship has kind of sailed for me ever to watch a basketball game on any level without doing some sort of evaluation. It's just kind of it, it's the nature of the beast. But mm-hmm. I can tell you there there is a level of, I mean, like watching like a game like tonight, you watch it as a like there there's an enjoyment factor of it watching these two teams like just completely like compete for something, and you you try to pull from that like how can how can we improve our team to be able to to compete in this game? Like, what are, what are we missing to like not you know be able to win a game like this? And so, it's not always the player evaluations or like you know watching every single individual and, and how can that guy fit with us as much as 
the style of play or the, the level of physicality or, or just, you know, the different, the different aspects of the game to where you kind of watch it and you always kind of draw back and how it compares to our team and what our team can do to get to that point. Dan, last one for me. Um, the guys that go undrafted, uh, you know, there are, there are some guys that I, I'm sure, you know, you, you have your draft board uh, laid out. But a guy might be on your board that it, it just runs out of space. Like the draft ends and his name was maybe next up or a couple next, you know, a couple down the queue and you don't get him. And I, I'm thinking about a guy like Fred. Is it beneficial that the draft has been cut back to just two rounds and you can actually, I wouldn't say hide guys, but you got your eye on a guy that wasn't drafted that, that has potential or, as you say, might might fit your spectrum or your profile and, and you can you can kind of hunt them down that way? Absolutely. I mean, I think the working the undrafted market is one of my favorite parts of the draft because it's, I think we, you know, we do a lot of focus on trying to find those guys that for whatever reason, you know, they, they weren't quite in our, like for, for this year, you know, in that 33 conversation, but they're close to it. And, we may have guys that are ranked way higher than 60, but for whatever reason, other teams don't see it and they fall through. And those are guys that we, we try to jump on and we try to, you know, get into the system, whatever way it, it takes. But we, we, there's definitely, you know, there's work being done for the last month, two months, whatever, of, of kind of laying that groundwork of, of you know, if and when the time comes, if they if we end up not taking them um, at with the draft pick, at least they know their agent, the player knows that we've had a high high level of interest to where when undrafted time comes, they now have the choice of going to any team they want, and we as an organization have shown interest from early in the process, and they see how they might possibly fit, and usually if we're reaching out, you know, early on and, and explaining like, you know, why, why we're so interested and, and they see the fit as well. And all those conversations have been going on to where when draft night comes and, and draft night is so crazy and, and so many things happen that it's, there's people, there's players that get drafted that have no business getting drafted sometimes that, you know, when, when certain players fall through, it's not so much a, a testament to that player's not good enough as much as just circumstantial or, or fit or whatever to where if, if the right conversations and the right relationships have been built prior to draft night, when they, cause the tables kind of turn and now these players have the opportunity to pick the best team for them. Um, if, if we've done our job correctly, we're in usually in some good conversations with some really high level players that, it's um you know it, it's just as much of an importance of preparing for our pick as it is to like set the groundwork for being one of like the finalists for some of these high level undrafted guys because like I said the tables kind of turning now they have all the the leverage on on where they want to go and you know if we did the right job of targeting certain guys and and putting ourselves in position over the last few weeks we usually can come out of a draft where we have one pick we might end up having three guys that end up you know, being high level 
you know, close to roster guys that we we went into the draft with them, you know, ranked fairly high. And from a Raptors perspective or a Raptors fan perspective, no greater example of that than what obviously unfolded with Fred Van Vliet just a, a, a few seasons back, a few years ago. Dan, listen, we, uh, we kept you longer than we thought we would. Thanks for uh, taking some time with us. Enjoy the game tonight. Enjoy the draft next week. And uh, look forward to speaking with you, seeing you in person very soon. All the best. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Dan. Take care. That was, again, Dan Tolzman, the Assistant General Manager and Vice President of Player Personnel for the Toronto Raptors. As I was just mentioning, Fred Van Vliet right at the end there, Jonesy, no greater example than what he did, a guy that was uh, expecting, anticipating to be drafted. It ultimately didn't happen. And uh, if you've seen Open Gym, if you've seen some of the mini documentaries and whatnot, some of the stuff that even Van Vliet himself has put out uh, in his own social uh, media and social channels, uh, some great behind-the-scenes footage of what that was like for him a number of years ago in uh, the decision-making process and then ultimately landing with the Raptors. And now here he is in a summertime where he could be signing uh, an extension that would make him uh, richer than, than his wildest dreams, I'm sure, when he was growing up in Rockford, Illinois. Well, and that's, you know, Dan, to Dan's point about the undrafted market. Back in their heyday, uh, Jerry Krause, the late Jerry Krause and the Chicago Bulls never let their scouts sit with others because they wanted to formulate their own opinion. And Dan talked about the Raptors basically developing a profile. And, and you know, we see that play itself out with the team at large now. Long, athletic, angular, switchability, you know, versatility in offense, positionless style, uh, full skill package, you know, little guy, big guy. You can, you can play these guys either way. So um, I, I like that. I like that for the Raptors. And, and you know, the Raptor fans should feel really, really good about having, uh, you know, a, a scouting department and, a, and, a, and an ability to draft players that fit and not miss. E, you and I talk about it. The draft is next week, and there are teams that book a, a, a seat to Secaucus every year, and they get there, and they, they draft, and they miss. And, you know, last year the Raptors broke a streak of seven straight, eight straight years in the playoffs, whatever it was, but they got Scotty Barnes. They didn't miss. And, you know, they're, they're, they've set themselves up. So um, it'll be interesting to see how things shake out for Toronto, not just on draft night, E, but going into summer league and in the free agent market towards next season. All right, one question I wanted to ask Dan Tolzman, Jonesy, and then at the last second, I even wrote it in our little, our little chat back and forth that I had a fun one for him, and I, I left it alone because I figured I'm setting the man up to fail. If he says yes... Then people are going to, oh, he's not even paying attention to the draft. God forbid he took, you know, two hours of his day of his life to just turn his brain off and watch a movie. If he says no, well, then there's no point in me asking, and there's nothing he can add to the conversation. So ultimately, in my brain, I decided this is a no-win situation. Don't ask Dan Tolzman. But I'm asking you, so I'm putting you on the spot now. Have you had a chance to turn off your brain at any point during the finals and during prep for the game that we're going to be calling on on, uh, on on Canada Day on July 1st between Canada and Dominican Republic. Have you had a chance to watch Hustle yet on Netflix? No, I haven't. Uh, oh, I'm Jonesy. Wait, wait, I'll tell you why. I'm waiting because there's some people I want to watch it with. Uh, okay. So that the first one will be that way, and then the next one, the next two or three times, will be on my own. But, yeah, no, no, okay. no, I've... I've heard great things. So, uh, but yeah. e, that's our job, right? Like to the fans that are listening and people that are listening, you know, somebody says, what are the hours? We have a job that's, it's when you open your eyes until you decide you're going to close your eyes. Like you're, you're always on, you know, people said to me the other day, they saw me at an event. Oh, so you got downtime. Well, not really. We're still doing our podcast. 
you know, we're Eric and I are getting ready to call a, a couple of games uh, coming up for for Canada. Uh, Global Jam is the fifth to the tenth Canada basketball. Then there's summer league. You know, then you're maybe in the dead period at the end of July, August, and then boom, training camp starts in September. So winding down, no, less busy maybe, yes, but you know, we're we're always on, man. Always, always, and and hey, even watching hustle to me, that's part of the job in some senses as well. Of course, basketball movie, pop culture, players are going to be talking about it. You know, it's it's produced by Maverick Carter and LeBron James, multiple you know NBA players in the movie as well. I'm not giving any spoilers to you or to anybody else that hasn't seen it. All I will say is I think it's excellent, excellent, and absolutely worth the two hours. And outside of maybe a couple of curse words here and there, it's one that I think you can watch with the kids as well for the most part. If you've got a youngster that's, I don't know, 10, 12 up uh, that's into sports, um, into basketball specifically, I think it's outstanding. So I was going to, again, mention it to Dan Tolzman, but I didn't want anybody to be to hear Dan say, oh, yeah, I sat down and watched. Oh, my gosh, Raptors aren't prepared for the draft because Dan Tolzman took two hours to watch a movie. So I just left it alone. But make sure you go check it out, folks. And, folks, of course, make sure you check out Smith and Jones, wherever you get your podcast, download, rate, review, share it as well. Smith and Jones on Apple, on Spotify, and Google, wherever you get your podcast. Thanks again to Dan Tolzman for joining us this week, as well as former Toronto Raptor, friend of the show, and of course, Sportsnet television analyst Alvin Williams. For Paul Jones, I'm Eric Smith. You've been listening to Smith and Jones.